Amen. What a morning of worship it's already been. Goodness. Thank you, choir, for that beautiful reminder. Christ, the glory of God's face, come to dwell among us and show us God's glory. And while we thought it was us who came to him, really it was him who came to us. What a beautiful reminder. And thank you to, uh, is it Ariel again? Tell me your name. Adriel, Adriel, Ariel's the mermaid. Adriel is Aaron's sister, got it, okay. And there's a bunch of A's, right? How many are there? Four, Four. Adriel, Aaron, Alina. Alina. That's right, okay. All these musical Duncans, it's fantastic. Thank you, Aaron, for sharing your siblings with us and leading us in worship. And how about Rachel and Evan's musical debut too? Rachel can sing, that's great. <laughs> Uh, I love being a pastor in this town. I would put our staff up against any staff musically uh, in the world. Our staff can hang. So uh, thank you, Evan and Rachel, for, for being bold and sharing a beautiful song of remembering God. Today is the day we're finally out of the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, we're going to be turning to that little section in the back of your Bible that's known as the New Testament. So you're welcome. After a year, I told Jude, I said, today is our first day back in the New Testament for a year. He said, well, it's been longer than that. I said, no, it hasn't. It's been about a year, buddy. Settle down. But some of y'all feel like it's been longer than that. I understand, and so does Jude. Uh, and if you're reading our Advent devotions, the Gospel of Advent, you will have loved the fact that this past week was all readings from Isaiah. Every single week was from the book of Isaiah as we look at Old Testament prophecies. It just goes to show you what an important book Isaiah is and how it prophesies the, the, the coming of the Lord. It's known as the fifth gospel for a reason. So you're welcome for the foundation that we laid last year as we walked through Isaiah, pointing to that reality of a hope that's beyond this world, a reality that's greater than anything that this world can give us. So today we're gonna to be in the book of Luke. and I wanna make sure that we understand this is all part of the same story. It's the story of everything ever. It runs from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, and it's the story of what God is doing in creation and beyond. The God who existed before all time and will bring the story to completion one day. And today we're gonna to dive into one of the most beloved and well-known texts that usually come up at this season of Advent. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, verses 46 to 55. It's a song and it's known as the Magnificat. That's the Latin translation of magnifies. The Magnificat. Again, I love Nashville, I was born and raised you know, Franklin's not really Nashville, but I was born and raised uh, a few miles south of here and just love music. Y'all know that I love songs and I love instruments. I think music is a gift from God that, that Rachel used to, when, when words fail us, we have to go to a song, right? A song, music can express things in our hearts in a way that mere prose cannot. And what we're gonna see in, in Luke is that apparently Luke, the, the writer of Luke and Acts, was apparently a, a music lover as well. He would feel right at home in Nashville because he includes four songs in his Advent narrative at the beginning of Luke. And Mary's is the first and, and possibly the, the greatest, the, the most well-known of the four songs. Maybe next year our, our Advent series will be called Luke's Greatest Hits and we could just 
talk about the songs that are found in, in Luke. But then you have the second song from Zechariah, John the Baptist's daddy, who sang the Benedictus, blessed be the name of the Lord God, for he has visited and redeemed his people, is how that text starts. And then next week, we're actually going to look at the third song, the angels' song that they sang over the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, Gloria in Altissimus, glory to God in the highest. And finally, Simeon, who in the temple had been praying that the Lord would just allow him to see the Christ child before he dies. Once he saw Jesus there in the temple, he said, now God, nunc dimittis, now you can send me home. Now you can send me away. I'm ready to die because I've seen the Messiah with my own eyes. It's a beautiful song. All those songs are great. So today I want us to focus on these lyrics, which is what they are, with, with the attentive ears of a, a, an enthusiastic concert goer who gets to hear from the greatest songwriter that ever lived. And I'm not talking about Mary. I'm, I'm talking about God himself who sings through the Christ-bearer, Mary. And it's a song of the composer who sings about how everything that is right and true and good is going to come to pass through his plan centering on Jesus Christ. So let's stand today as I read our text for today from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 45. Hear now the words of the Lord from the Bible that Dr. Bert Dyson gave me Hear now the words from Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You know, the, the Tennessean, I'm, I'm one of those old people who gets the, the paper uh, delivered to my house and actually holds the physical paper and reads it. They have a, a series every week called The Story Behind the Song, where they interview some famous songwriters or some not so famous songwriters, but they happened to produce a hit and they, they interview them about what was the story that led to crafting this song. And today what I want to do is kind of look at the story behind the Magnificat, just to set it up before we dive into the text. What was the, the story behind this song? Well, it was written in a house in Judah while two ladies were sitting there present. And if the reporter had asked Mary, what prompted this song, she would probably have started with the angel, the mighty messenger Gabriel, who shows up in her home in Nazareth, a town in southern Galilee, 
who appears to her in, in, a, in a moment of what is pure panic for Mary. Up until that point, it was an exciting time in Mary's house. Her parents had arranged for her marriage to a young guy named Joseph in their town. And all the pre-planning was in the works. What's she going to wear? What kind of food are they going to serve? Some of you have been through that process. It's a fun and exciting time. But her world would change forever when Gabriel shows up. The angel says to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And of course, Mary's a little terrified, and Gabriel reassures her, it's okay, look, you have found favor with God. <clears throat> and look, you're going to have a baby, a boy, not in a worldly way, but in a miraculous way. And you're going to name him Yeshua, the deliverer, the rescuer, is what Yeshua, Jesus, means. And he's going to be great, and he's going to be called the Son of of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Gabriel assured her God could do this. God can and will do this. He reminded her of how her relative Elizabeth whom everybody thought could never have kids because she was barren, the angel said, remember Elizabeth? Everyone said she would never have kids. And look, she's six months into a pregnancy, even in her old age. God can do it. And, and of course, the, the first thing that Mary wants to do after the angel departs is go and see Elizabeth. Who better to process things with than her relative, who's also got a, an amazing pregnancy journey, with the greatest prophet who ever lived, John the Baptist. And so she goes south to Judah, and as she walks into Elizabeth's house and says, hello, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy in her womb, knowing the voice of the mother of Jesus. And here's where something special really starts to happen. Sometimes in these uh, stories behind the song, the songwriters will talk about, oh, it was just magic, how things came together. It was just magic how this guy was riding with me and this girl was over here playing the, the piano, and it was just magic. What happens with the Magnificat is, is better than magic. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up to, to embody this song and to compel this song to come forth from Mary. And the, the Holy Spirit is moving among them. Look at Luke 1, 41 through 45. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed that every promise from God is yes and amen in the Messiah. And, and she speaks this prophetic word over Mary because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can imagine Mary's just overwhelmed, right? She doesn't know what to say because there's no words to express the greatness of what is happening inside of her. So she sings. 
That's all she can do is sing. Sometimes, like Rachel talking about remembering the Lord, all she could do is sing. That's all, that's all that Mary could do here. And, and of course, there's people who say that Luke just added this bit. But Luke was a doctor. Doctors don't write songs, do they? Come on. Doctors are, are wonderful medical people, but, you know, they, they're not songwriters. And let's give Mary her, her due. You know, Luke doesn't get the songwriting credit. Those of you who work in public, music publishing, y'all know a lot about who gets the songwriting credit, right? Mary gets the credit. You know that Mary, as a good Jewish girl, knew the songs of David, right? The Psalter. She grew up with those songs. She also knew the several other songs in the Old Testament, including the one that resembles the Magnificat, the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Y'all know the story of Hannah. She prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, give me a baby, let me have a baby. And, and she was barren and was unable to have children. And finally the Lord heard her prayer and answered her prayer. And, and she became pregnant and she dedicated that child to the Lord. His name was Samuel. He was the, the king anointer who anointed Saul and later King David. A great prophet. And so she knows that song of Hannah crying out to the Lord about the baby in her womb. And, and I wonder if you know, it was about a three or four day journey from Galilee down to Judah where uh, Elizabeth lived. I wonder if Mary had Hannah's song on repeat, not in her AirPods, they didn't have those, but in her head as she was singing the text of Hannah's song over and over and had that in her heart. And then when it came time for her to sing her song, she based it on the song of Hannah. And Mary starts out, so strong with this beautiful song that is the only way that she can express herself in this moment. The, the opening line, some songs have great opening lines, and Mary's is one of the best opening lines ever. Verse 46, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. What does a magnifying glass do? Not, not burn ants, right? A magnifying glass makes images bigger. It makes them appear larger so we can see them better. That's what Mary's soul is doing here. That's the idea. Mary, when she considers how amazing God actually is because of what he's doing through her, she cries out, in my soul, in my heart of hearts, in my innermost place, I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing to understand how great our God is. And it's beyond anything that I imagine. And that's what worship really is. Worship is, is, is meditating, trying to wrap our minds and our hearts around the greatness, the goodness, the glory of God in such a way that something wells up inside of us where we respond with, my soul magnifies the Lord. When we, we think about the, the, the perfection of God's beauty, in, in the, the glory of his holiness, then something should well up inside of us, a response to say, God, you are so great. My heart of hearts is learning, is growing in my understanding of how great you are. You are magnified in my life. And when we have that, we long to see God's glory grow in all the world, just as it grows in our own souls. We long to see God's name magnified in every nation. That's what the Lottie Moon offering is all about, the global missions offerings that we do. 
to see God's glory expand throughout the world till, till every tongue confesses that God is the greatest God of all time, that he's the only God, and that his name is above all other names. Something takes over when we worship like that. I'm not just talking about singing, right? I'm not just talking about being in church. I'm talking about any time that you begin to really reflect when your mind's attention and your heart's affections are focused on who God is. It should lead to the only proper response, which is worship. My soul magnifies the Lord. And that leads to a profound joy when you do that. You're, no matter what your external circumstances are, there's this joy that wells up in our innermost parts. Verse 47 says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit rejoices. That's the kind of joy that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, joy. It's a deep and abiding joy that again is not dependent upon your circumstances, but on who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. So how do we get there? Where does true worship like that come from? You may feel like you're just getting by today. Maybe you're at Lois DeBerry Prison and you're watching this and you say, I got nothing to be joyful about. Maybe you're, you're, you're just surviving day to day and you're like, look, Nathan, I'm just trying to get through today until tomorrow and through Christmas. There's a grief share class that, that uh, Lynn, uh, not Lynn, Jan Bennett hosted called Surviving the Holidays because for many people, that's what it is. They're just trying to get through the holidays. If that's you today, I want you to focus on Mary's song as a catalyst for true worship that leads to joy for each and every one of us. Her song gives us seven clear reasons when we stop to really reflect on them for why we should join Mary in magnifying the Lord today. That's our outline for today. Why do we magnify the Lord? There's these clear reasons, and I've adapted these from Kent Hughes. He has a great commentary on Luke. He was pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois for like 30 years. He, he has this brilliant seven-point outline. I've adapted these points from his. First, we're gonna see three personal reasons for why we respond to the Lord with worship. First, he condescends to us. Look at the first part of 48 again. <clears throat> he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Elizabeth was amazed that Mary would condescend to her. She said, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? This is amazing that you would come down to my level. And I'm sure Mary is like, oh really? Who am I that the Lord would choose to bear the Messiah through me? That I would be the mother of the Lord. Who am I? And think about it, who was Mary? It's a very patriarchal society. She was a teenage girl. It's pretty low on the social ladder of that time. She had no agency to elevate her social position as a teenage girl. She probably had no education and she was from a backwoods town that everybody made fun of. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Remember that? Can anything good come from Nazareth? She had no influence, she had no power. 
And yet she was exactly the kind of person that God comes to and works through in amazing ways. Those who are weak in the eyes of the world so that God would get all the glory. They, they know that they possess nothing of real value and that they've accomplished nothing of lasting significance apart from him. They're the ones who realize that they're more needy and they're more desperate than their external circumstances might portray to the average eye. When we think about who God is and who we are in light of who he is and his perfect holiness, then we begin to realize how truly humble our estate is, no matter how many degrees you have on your wall, no matter how your bank account looks right now, our estate is actually very lowly. And you have to understand that if you're gonna be a worshiper. Saint Augustine, who's widely regarded as the greatest theologian of all Christendom, he said this, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second, and humility is the third. Okay, the second reason that we magnify the Lord is that he blesses us, the Lord's blessings to us. He blesses us. Look at the rest of verse 48. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is not a humble brag, okay? You know people who humble brag, you know, they kind of sneak in that little, oh, I'm so humble, but I'm really bragging. That's not what Mary's doing. She just said she's a nobody. And now she's saying, I can't believe how blessed I am. How blessed I am. When you think about how God has blessed you, Satan would love to have us just wallow in self-pity. Oh, poor me. I'm such a victim. Life is so hard. Satan would love to keep us there. But when we think about what God has actually done for us and how he has blessed us, we cannot help but magnify his name. You know, she marvels at how God has done this amazing thing in her. You know what the most popular name is in the Western world? Mary, of course, Mary. The Eastern Orthodox Church refers to Mary as the Theotokos, the mother of God, the God-bearer. God had found favor with Mary, and she was the chosen vessel through which God would bring Christ into the world. You may say, yeah, that's cool, that's Mary. I'm not Mary. God's not gonna do anything great through me like that. But here's the truth, if you are a born again believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a grateful believer, as they say at CR, in Jesus Christ, you are indeed blessed. Now, I'm not talking about using the hashtag blessed in your social media post, okay, when you get a new car. I'm talking about eternal blessing. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 34. He says this, then the king do we have Matthew 25? I bet we do. Matthew 25, verse 34. No, we don't. Okay, don't worry about it. We'll just keep going. In a very real sense, we who have died to ourselves in baptism, right, and been raised into a whole new life in Jesus Christ, have been raised into a resurrected life. We've gone from death to life. What a miracle. We too have therefore been chosen to bear the life of Christ in us to the world. That's an awesome concept. Lil Cook, our minister to senior adults here, she led a, a, a devotion in our staff meeting this week 
where she shared a prayer, it was last week, from Scotty Smith. He preached here last year in March. A prayer which Scotty says to God, just as surely as you placed the life of Jesus in Mary, you have done the same for us. Though in an entirely different way than Mary, we too are pregnant with glory. If that weirds you out, just remember what Paul says in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what Scotty's saying. Okay, the third and final personal reason that we magnify the Lord is because of his excellencies toward us. His excellencies toward us. God has all these amazing qualities, his excellencies. We're gonna see three of them in verses 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. All these excellencies of God, his mightiness, his holiness, and his mercy, all these amazing things are for us. They're toward us. He uses these amazing things about himself to bless us. These amazing things about God, his power, he's mighty. He is mighty to save, as Isaiah has said. He's holy, he's completely other than, and yet he's a friend of sinners who welcomes us to draw near to the throne of grace. He's the name above all other names, and yet he welcomes us as adoptees into his family. And finally, in verse 50, his mercy, his unbelievable capacity to forgive, that's what compels him to use all these other excellencies for us. He doesn't hoard them for himself. He's giving them constantly on behalf of helpless sinners. That brings us to the second part of your outline today. We're gonna see four prophetic reasons for why we magnify the Lord. These are, are deeper, you know, and it makes sense. Once we reflect on what God has done for us as individuals, it moves us to, to zoom out and think about how God is doing these great things for the world on, on a grander scale throughout time and space. We're gonna look at part B of this song as Mary sings of the great work of God in recreating this fallen world in the work of redemption, the work of reconciliation, the work of renewal that God is doing through Jesus. L let me preface this section with some grammatical insight for you grammar nerds, okay? The verbs here look like past tense, right? He has shown, he has scattered, he has brought down. That's because English doesn't have an aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T, aorist. In the Greek, biblical Koine Greek, aorist is this cool tense because it, it looks like past, but it implies ongoing and to be completed. It means that God is, is, is surely going to do these things. He has done these things. He will do these things, and one day he will bring them to completion. Really cool prophetic tense. That's what's happening here in this section of Mary's song. These prophecies are gonna come true because of Jesus. And that leads us to exuberantly magnify the Lord. 
Look at uh, the first reversal that we see. These are a series of reversals, how God undoes things. The first one we see are the moral reversals, that God unworks the effects of sin. Look at verse 51. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You know who the proud are, right? It's those people who think, I got it all together. I got a nice shiny new car. I got a nice new house. I lost some weight, <laughs> whatever. I'm feeling good. I'm successful and I have a beautiful family. I have it all together. I have it all figured out. I love going to celebrate recovery because we're reminded none of us have it all together. Were it not for grace, all of us would be in the ditch. That's the truth. People who carefully curate their outer image so that you think that they're impressive are these proud people, and those are the kind of people that Jesus specifically does not come to. He doesn't come for them. He came to seek and save the lost. He comes as a doctor for people who know that they're sick, not for those who think they're healthy and well. Only the internal imputed righteousness of Christ can make us well. All of our external attempts at being right and righteous fall woefully short. Next, we see the, the way of Jesus causes social reversals. Look at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Who did Jesus reserve his harshest words for in the Gospels? Who was he the sternest with? Religious people. <laughs> if Jesus came back today, he'd probably have a word for evangelical pastors, wouldn't he? Yikes. <clears throat> people who, who think that they're a religious elite. In, in Matthew 23, it's just blistering. He says to the, the Pharisees and the scribes, woe to you, you hypocrites, you blind guides. In verse 12, he reminds them, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Imagine if our politicians believed this today and acted this way. <laughs> How does this coming social reversal change the way that we speak then to our garbage collectors? How does it change the way that we speak to the custodian in our building? How does it change the way that we speak to the guy who's selling the contributor on the corner? Advent confirms that the first shall indeed be the last and that the last shall indeed be the first. And that leads to the next reason, a spiritual reversal, a greater reality. The material world becomes secondary as the spiritual world becomes, our eyes become open to the greater reality of the spiritual world. Look at verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. That reminds us of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He opens with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What Jesus is saying is people who know that they're spiritually bankrupt, they're poor in spirit, they, they bring nothing to the table in and of themselves spiritually, they gain the kingdom. People who are full, people who believe that they are uh, in and of themselves sufficient and lulled into a false sense of security, they're the ones in trouble. Finally, in the last two verses, we see covenantal 
reversals. Mary sings her closing lines of the song here in verses 54 and 55. He, who's hel he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It used to be that the covenant that God had with his people was, look, I'm gonna make you holy and set you apart. All you have to do is follow the law and this external righteousness and you'll be okay. And they kept failing over and over again. But Jeremiah prophesied about a new covenant where God would write his law, not on tablets of stone, but on their very hearts. His imputed righteousness would be one of internal that came from dying to ourselves and being raised to life in the Messiah, the rescuer, who atones for our sins on the cross and who conquers death through the resurrection. That's the new covenant. The, the covenant reverses from old to new. God is still faithful to his people, but instead of having them rely on works of righteousness and the law, he now brings it into their heart of hearts. The living word, the logos, comes to take residence in their souls, all because of Jesus. So maybe you need a good song today. Whatever's going on in your life, I would encourage you to crank up the Magnificat. Have an hour of power where you worship with the Lord, where you consider what he's done for you personally and what he's doing universally in the world to make all things new once again. That's called the gospel, and it's good news. We have good news. No matter what is going on externally today, let's allow ourselves to get to a place where we can sing aloud, our souls magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, forgive us for focusing on the immediate, urgent circumstances around us that cause us to panic, that cause us to worry, that cause us to be filled with dread. God, I pray that in this season, you would remind us of what's most important. Help us to do, as, as Rachel's saying, to remember your goodness to us. All these ways that you have blessed us, all of your excellencies toward us, and then what you're doing in the world, how you're Un, uh, undoing all the sinful effects that have happened since the fall. How all the shame, how thorns and thistles and toil, how pain and death have wreaked havoc on our world and how you're working all of them backwards. How all the, the worldly ways that we continue to rely on ultimately fail us and yet your spiritual reality of new life through Jesus is what ultimately saves us and sustains us so that we can say, my soul magnifies the Lord. God, we pray as John the Baptist prayed that you would increase in our hearts, that we would decrease, that we would remove ourselves off of the throne of our own lives and put you back in your rightful place, the Lord of not only our hearts, but the Lord of our lives. That everything we have from our heads to our toes, all of our worldly goods, all the people that we love are ultimately for you and for your glory. And we have them by your grace alone. God, I pray that you would help us to understand 
who you are more fully. Reveal yourself to us and may we, we respond appropriately in worship that the joy that, that wells up inside of us would be so palpable this Advent season that it would absolutely overwhelm our anxieties and fears and circumstances to where we could boldly say to sing at the top of our lungs, my soul magnifies the Lord. God, you've been so good to us and we don't deserve it. And we can never repay you for what you've done for us, but I pray that you would help us to live lives worthy of the gospel. As we leave this place today, may we become Advent people, people filled with hope and peace and joy and love who bear those things out to a world that desperately needs them. We pray this in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.